Welcome to MuggleCast episode 411. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. Micah, you just got back from an exciting trip, didn't you? Yeah, I was uh, over in Ireland for about a week, and uh, it was a lot of fun. Do anything Harry Pottery? Yeah, I uh, made it out to the, the Cliffs of Moher, which uh, was a filming location for Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. It's when uh, Harry and Dumbledore are uh, about to enter the, the cave to go after the uh, Locket Horcrux, and they're standing out on that rock in the middle of the sea. That was actually filmed, well, I believe that they were CGI'd in later, but it, the uh, the scenery, at least, was filmed at the cliffs, and it's really an amazing kind of breathtaking spot. That's awesome. Did you go looking for the cave? Did you go try to help Dumbledore? You know, it's a little far down, and uh, I was just more there for the uh, the photo op. I see. Well, you posted that on social media. I did. And we posted it also on our new Instagram. I want to let everybody know we recently launched an official Instagram for the podcast. Finally, after all this time, because we are hiring a social media manager soon. And she's going to be managing all of our channels. And we've been missing Instagram. And Instagram is the biggest social network right now. All the cool kids are on it. I hear. So we are at Instagram.com slash MuggleCastPod because unfortunately a fan took Instagram.com slash MuggleCast and what? she hasn't posted in like seven years. Oh, come I, on. We got to get it back. that fixed. Well, we Who gotta, I got to call? I know people. <laughs> well, I looked into the Instagram rules and like we really have no rights to it because <laughs> so, we don't have a trademark or anything. But it's... If it's inactive for that long, I feel like if we sent an email, we may be able to get it. Maybe. Well, look, we can try. I sent an but... Instagram message to that account about four or five months ago when we first kicked this idea around, and I did not hear back. So, mm. Oh, I didn't know you did that, because I did that too. And yeah. Same same thing, no mm. response. It's I know people seen. at Instagram. I'll, I'll take care of this. <laughs> ah, Micah, social media expert of the hookups. I actually like the name Muggle Cast Pod. <laughs> like, it's not bad, but you know what would be slightly better? <laughs> Muggle Cast. Yes. Especially because we're, we have Twitter.com slash Muggle Cast and Facebook.com slash Muggle Cast. Right. So please follow us there. You are going to get clips from the show. We're going to be sharing Harry Potter memes and other fun stuff. And we'll show, share other show previews. Instagram.com slash Muggle Cast Pod. If we do get slash MuggleCast, everybody will just be moved over to there automatically. So don't don't be holding out <laughs> until we get that fan account. And by the way, hey, person who created it or person who has that original account, if uh, you're still listening to the show, can we have it, please? <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll send you some MuggleCast goods and thanks. Whoever it is just posts a bunch of memes. It's well, all memes. But that's what we're looking to do, Laura. But they'll be better. <laughs> anyway, one little news item I wanted to mention. I always love talking about stuff like this. A first edition Harry Potter book sold for $90,000. Uh, this went to auction recently. Now, here's the interesting thing. Sold for 68,800 pounds. It was expected to sell for between forty to 60,000 pounds. So it actually went for more than anticipated 
This copy of the book has some typos, including on the rear cover, there's a typo in Philosophers. It made me wonder, have any of you ever encountered a rare or just maybe a unique Harry Potter book out and about that you've been tempted to purchase? Mm. No. I've never been one to spend inordinate amounts of money on stuff like that. Like, I really wanted to have the UK editions of the books because of the art and everything. So I got those. But I've never felt compelled to spend more than I would spend on just a regular copy of the book. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, though, because when I was um, on vacation, we were in this town called Dingle, and there was this little bookshop. And inside the bookshop, they actually had Harry Potter. And I guess it was either in Irish or Gaelic or the local language. And uh, those types of things always interest me. Like, But then mm-hmm. it, if you pick one up, they had Tales of Beetle the Bard, too illustrated which i thought was was cool but my thing is always if you pick one of them up then what happens you have to maybe collect them all yeah and before you know it you're the harry potter collector with this room of every version of the harry potter books known to man and speaking of collecting them all andrew oh i know i I told you about this but i did catch mr mime when i was in ireland so congrats i actually (laughs) caught two of them I, th- I thought Mr. Mime was exclusive to England. Guess all of the UK. Oh. We discussed that on uh, Bonus MuggleCast last week <laughs> when we were talking about Harry Potter Wizards Unite, which is like Pokemon Go. I had, so a couple years ago, uh, when I was living in California, I was in a Malibu bookstore and they had some books behind a glass case and there was a copy of Sorcerer's Stone signed by J.K. Rowling. And I was like, hey, bookseller, what's the story behind this? She had signed that in Thousand Oaks, California on her very first U.S. book tour. So this is, of course, before she blew up. And I actually had lived in Thousand Oaks, California for a year or two. So I was just stunned that J.K. Rowling at some point had come through the city, a Barnes & Noble that I was <laughs> visiting while living in, in California, I, I was so tempted to buy that book. It was $700. And even still today, I'm like, should I call that bookstore up and see if they still have it? Because I'm <laughs> still tempted. But this was also before the days when J.K. Rowling's signature would also come with like a verification sticker. Mm. Because, you know, it was she was a small-time author still. So right. that's the one time I encountered a... a, 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 a oh, I, actually, I think that's the only time I've ever encountered the signed Harry Potter book for sale. Yeah, don't we all... Have signed copies, at least mm-hmm. one. Yeah. I have Half Blood Prince UK. I have Casual Vacancy. I have Deathly Hallows UK, because that's the one that I brought to have signed at her Carnegie mm-hmm. Hall reading. Yeah. Where she made the the infamous, well, I guess infamous announcement that people about Albert Forth. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Uh yeah, I think the same. I have Deathly Hallows and then I think I have Casual Vacancy as well. I'll remind you all that this this is a sore point for me because I know I was at that event, but I have no freaking clue where my signed copy of whatever book I brought is. <laughs> I don't recall that you actually brought a book, Andrew. They were giving out U.S. versions of the book to everyone who bought a ticket. That's right. And you could have that signed or you could bring your own book 
I chose to bring my own because I was like, I don't need another U.S. copy. I've got like five. <laughs> uh, but where is it? And Where's you, my book? Did you have her sign your chest? Isn't that? <laughs> no, no. But I did uh, you, ask. You got a high five. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I still remember standing there being like, please high five me. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe that's what you traded. Maybe you either got a high five or a signature. <laughs> you, you made your choice. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I still remember. She didn't even say anything. She just she just stared at the hand and just leaned in. It's like, okay, asshole, don't, now get out of here. Didn't you hand her a muggle net shirt, Laura? I did, and I. <laughs> it's so humiliating. <laughs> did she take it? Yeah, she took it, and she was so nice. And I was just like, we love you, and we we love everything that you that you do and that you put out in the world. And oh. here's the shirt that's been <laughs> in my suitcase. <laughs> and she just took it and was like oh thank you and signed my book and i was on my way that's cute good story uh. <laughs> hey speaking of signatures mm. perfect transition actually oh man we're just killing it today we are doing another round of signed album art for all of our patrons if you are at the five dollar a month level or above since we have new album art we thought we would sign it and since Laura's here too now, we thought this is a great time to do this again. So please pledge as soon as possible because the signed album art has been ordered. They are going to you, Laura, first. So get ready to put pen to paper. That's right. And then I think Eric, Micah, and I are going to sign them all together here in Chicago. And then they'll all be going out to you. So please pledge at patreon.com slash mugglecast as soon as possible. You will have to be a patron for three months to be eligible and again this is at the five dollar level or above and speaking of physical goods we will be putting together another physical item we have an idea in mind we're just working out the details and they those are going to go to everybody again at the five dollar a month level or above later this year and you will have to be pledging for five or sorry for three months or more to be eligible so patreon.com slash mugglecast help help us out we do host red advertising on the show from time to time, but ultimately we depend on your support because it is what is most reliable. And there's also a page on the MuggleCast website, right, for all of our advertisers. So there is listeners can go and still take advantage of a lot of those deals. Yeah, and uh, we're not robbing you. We're giving you some. We're giving you some great benefits over at our Patreon. So check it out. Yeah, over forty-five hours of original extra content. We counted. And existing patrons, please update your address. Make sure it is current. Otherwise, we're going to be sending your stuff to the wrong place. Yep. Can you imagine how confusing it would be for somebody who has no idea who we are and they just like move in <laughs> somebody's old place and they just get this signed album art? <laughs> <laughs> hey, it might be the way to start them on a long journey that ends That's true. You know, 10 years from now with people guesting an episode and being like, I listened to you ever since this mail came to me incorrectly. <laughs> we can yeah. start sending unsolicited signed album art to people <laughs> to recruit sure. new listeners. Help us hit 2000 patrons and we'll start <laughs> spamming people. <laughs> <laughs> so last week's episode, we had a great discussion and we got some feedback. We got a lot of good feedback and it was really nice to hear. So thank you to everybody who contacted us over the past week. Um, I want to read this email from Katie. Micah, do you want to read it? Sure. So uh, first email comes from Katie, and she said, First of all, thank you. 
but I just wanted to add to the conversation that on my end of the internet, it's not fans reacting negatively at all. The people I'm seeing criticizing her the most aren't even quasi-fans. These are people that wear their disdain for J.K. Rowling and Harry Potter like a badge of honor. Anytime any news about Potter comes out, they find a way to come out and brag about how they aren't a fan, usually because of lack of representation. One person in particular I interacted with wrote a two to 3,000 word blog post about this issue without having even seen The Crimes of Grindelwald. When I called them out, they responded, quote, I don't want to see the movie because I don't want to support Johnny Depp. I think it's stupid and money grabbing that they release the screenplays as books and WTF is even up with Nagini. She's supposed to be a snake. I think one of the difficulties of a fandom that exists primarily on Twitter is that literally anyone can add to the conversation, even if they aren't a fan. I don't understand why someone who doesn't care, or at least claims to not care, about Harry Potter would waste their time and energy talking and complaining about it, but then there's a lot of things about social media I don't understand. Thanks for taking the time to talk about this in depth. Really, thanks for everything about the podcast. It's one of the things I look forward to most in my week. Thanks, Katie. Yeah, there were definitely a lot of people who don't know Harry Potter coming out and slamming J.K. Rowling, too. The reason I was talking about Harry Potter fans is because most people I follow on social media are Harry Potter fans. The only mm-hmm. people I know are Harry Potter fans. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was tough here. to see. And one of the things I, I thought about after we recorded last week's episode, because I know we talked a lot about t- the timing of things and, and how that often plays into certain circumstances and situations. And, and I thought all the way back to just J.K. Rowling writing these novels and the fact that she had to change her name in order for it to be deemed successful. Right. And we never really talked about that, but I thought that that was also a major point of uh, that could have factored into our, our conversation when we were talking about, you know, maybe that's why some of the characters in the series weren't as diverse at the time because maybe she got pushback from publishers or, the outing of Dumbledore because gay rights wasn't as mainstream back at that time. But if you think about it at the very core of it, JK Rowling couldn't even put her real name on the books that she was writing because they didn't think that it would resonate as well with, with male listener or male readers. Yep. Yeah. That's a great point. So we did get a little more feedback and let's listen to a voicemail about it. Hey, Uncle Cass. Um, I have lots of thoughts about J.K. Rowling, but only 60 seconds, so I'm just going to cut right to it. Uh, I am one of those Harry Potter fans who does not like J.K. Rowling. I don't want to hear from her. I don't care about Fantastic Beasts. The whole thing is a mess. Uh, But from my perspective, uh, I don't owe J.K. Rowling my unquestioning loyalty, but in return, J.K. Rowling doesn't owe me any new content. Uh, I don't yell at people on Twitter. (laughs) I am just content to listen to MuggleCast, reread the books, rewatch the movies, and completely ignore Fantastic Beasts and everything to do with it. So thank you all for your time. Bye. It's very well reasoned. Yeah, and I mean, that's the way to do it, right? Like, you don't have to like any of the new content. You can be content with what you have and accept that the author has given us an entire generation of people something that we will love and pass down to future generations without having to nitpick every decision that was made like 30 years ago. Right. 
in the writing of these books before she ever thought she was going to be a worldwide phenomenon. Right. And and I think Laura goes to the point that you made last week uh, when you were saying like the benefit of having her alive and, and being able to interact mm-hmm. with her. A lot of times this, this was what you had said, like when you get these phenomenons that develop, you don't have the benefit of having the author. Right. And, and I think like that, can play into at least how the person that voicemail was feeling. And it also kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, how some people feel about George R. R. Martin and with Game of Thrones and the fact that he's allowing for the series essentially to be finished by uh, the showrunners in HBO and, and that he hasn't published a book in... I want to say like eight years at this point. So yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting and and you can like the books, but yeah. not like the author. I think that's fair. So we have a couple other voicemails this week. We're going to get to before chapter by chapter. This one addresses the Fox discussion that we were having a few weeks ago. Ah. Hi, MuggleCast. My name is Jessica and I just listened to episode 408. Um, I wanted to touch a little bit more on the Fox theory. I was curious what you guys might think about my elaboration on that theory. Um, I personally do think that it's Fox, the Phoenix, and I think that he already belongs to Dumbledore, Albus Dumbledore, I should clarify. Um, I'm kind of curious if maybe Albus sent Fox to Credence in order to fool Grindelwald in some way, because clearly Grindelwald already knows that Credence is not Lita's brother. Um, and how did he find that out? Maybe a rumor already was started that he was Aurelius Dumbledore. Maybe that rumor was started by Albus Dumbledore himself. And then to further prove that that was true, he sent Fox to Credence. Um, yeah, and also I think that that would tie in more with what Laura was saying about Dumbledore and how he cares a little bit more about the mission rather than the people involved in the mission. And I think it would just play into how Albus becomes the character that he does become later on in the Harry Potter series. Uh, so yeah, I'd just be curious to hear what your guys' thoughts are about that. I love listening to the show. Thanks. I also want to issue a correction here. When we had originally played this voicemail, the Fox voicemail a couple of weeks ago, the caller had apparently asked if he thought the Phoenix went to Credence, Credence for Dumbledore, not if Fox just showed up out of the blue. So my apologies for misinterpreting that. But I really like this theory. Yeah, me um, too. It, it could very well be throwing off Grindelwald right now. Dumbledore, Albus Dumbledore could be throwing him off. I agree. I, I I like it as well, and I think that it would show that much as we know about Dumbledore later on in in the Potter series, he's always working behind the scenes, and we like to think that from what we saw in Crimes of Grindelwald that Grindelwald is kind of the the one that's doing that, but we shouldn't second guess Dumbledore at all, and this seems like something he he may do. Definitely. The one question I do have though about all this is. How would Grindelwald know the truth about Aurelius Dumbledore? But it didn't seem like 
Dumbledore knew the truth about him. Yeah. It's possible that Grindelwald was there when Credence was created or born, I think, maybe at some point. But that raises the question of why he didn't know he was looking for a boy to begin with in the first Fantastic Beasts film when he's there suspecting uh, Mercy was her name or the the uh, Credence's younger sister. Um, Melody? What was it? I'm trying to think. Does anybody know? Harmony? Melody sounds familiar. Not off the top of my head. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll look it up. But yeah, the so, you know, Graves didn't Graves or Grindelwald didn't really know who the Obscurus was. So it's it is a, a point of contention, like a confusing thing that in movie two, he knows exactly who Credence is uh, and seems to claim that it was, you know, that way for all time. Modesty. Thank you. You're on the right track. M. Yeah. <laughs> M.O. <laughs> but uh, this all said, I'm still in the, the this can't be a fake out camp. I need this to be the truth. I need. Yeah. Aurelius Dumbledore to be Aurelius Dumbledore. For real. Hello, Mufflecast. I'm Arlie. I'm one of your newer listeners and probably one of your younger ones, too. I just turned 14 this Saturday and received the full set of Harry Potter books. So now I can play Quizzes because my parents finally said I could have a Twitter account. <laughs> I've been listening to you guys for about a month now. I got into Harry Potter YouTube channels a while ago, but I just recently discovered Harry Potter podcasts. And yours is by far my favorite. I just wanted to say thank you for all your hard work and dedication to the podcast and to let you know that people like you are the reason that the next generation of Harry Potter fans exist. And if you guys put this on the next podcast episode, that would be, like, freaking amazing. Keep up the good work. Bye. Look at us. Oh y'all. my god. I you know what? We could just wrap this episode right here <laughs> and I would be totally satisfied with it. That was an amazing voicemail. She was super cute. How articulate. Oh, that's great. Too. What was her yeah. color's name? Uh, I want to see if she entered Quizich. Let's listen again cuz I don't know Hello, if she said it. Cast. I'm Arlie. 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 You better read her name first. <laughs> if she Thank play- you Arlie. Arlie, you're great. She brought up a good point that I really didn't think about before, and not to pat ourselves on the back, but if you are if you are stepping into the world of Harry Potter for the first time, right now, where do you go for an active Harry Potter community? Like MuggleCast is an active Harry Potter community. I guess a couple of the fan sites are too right now, but we're releasing new stuff every week, baby. Yeah, I just love these full circle moments because... Arlie, when we first started this podcast, we were not much older than you are now. Um, So I I just I love that here we are like in our 30s and we've got new people who were about as old as we were when we started doing this listening. You're in your 30s. I'm in my 20s for another two months. Okay, okay, we're rounding up a little bit. May is just around the corner. Just saying. (laughs) Still March in my calendar. Uh, thank you, Arlie. And we've kicked around an idea of doing something with younger listeners. We're still figuring out what to do with you all, but we'll we'll figure out something eventually. Hi, MuggleCast. This is Robert, longtime listener, uh, second-time caller. Um, I just wanted to call in because I had a thought on your recent discussion on Dumbledore's, uh, I guess, usage of Harry in procuring the Horcrux memory. Uh, you mentioned last week, and a couple weeks ago, actually, that, oh, you know, what was the point of Dumbledore having to go through this rigmarole with Harry when he could 
you know, when he already was working towards getting the Horcruxes. What I thought was interesting about Dumbledore's plan is Dumbledore wasn't trying to figure out or confirm whether there were Horcruxes in play. He knew that from the time they found the diary because he confirmed pretty much that the diary sinking on its own was a Horcrux. Uh, he was just trying to determine the number of Horcruxes, and that's where that memory comes into play because it confirms that there are not only more than one Horcruxes, but they're working towards the number seven or six. Or seven for real, because Harry's one of them. Uh, anyway, just wanted to kind of throw that out there. I love the show. I love these discussions. And I can't wait to hear more of them. Thank you. It's a great point. Thank you. Yeah, totally. And we'll discuss that more in today's chapter by chapter. One more voicemail. This is another one that made my day. Somebody with a great experience. Hey, Michael Cass. This is Kimmy calling. Um, I just wanted to share with you guys my experience. I just bought cursed child san francisco tickets and i'm so excited i can't believe i actually got them i got my priority access link and i don't know if you know the um it opened at 11 a.m and i was one minute late i opened it at 1101 and there were already over 16,000 people in front of me so it took me to this online queue and i've been um i'm homesick right now so that's the only reason I was able to stare at this webpage for so long. I don't know what other people did. Um, but I was in this line for almost five hours, and I was so worried that they were going to sell out. And when I finally got in, the first date that it, like, didn't – that it let me actually buy tickets for was May of next year. And I don't even care. I got these – tickets there they were way too expensive and the seats are not good but i don't care because i get to go see it and yeah i'm just really excited um so i wanted to share with you guys thank you so much you're my harry potter friends and i love listening to your podcast so yeah bye that's dedication yeah five hour wait for tickets i thought this was some interesting insight into demands right now i guess all of the western side of america is Looking at this as their chance to finally see Cursed Child. Yeah, I mean, if if you're excited, we're excited for you. And um, she didn't sound very sick to me. I think she faked being <laughs> sick just to get out of work. We all need a mental health day every now and then. Oh, I know. But I'm, I'm saying she caught it. She, you know, <laughs> I'm so sick just so she could get the tickets. I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Just saying. Yeah, but definitely let us know how it is. Yeah, I'll be curious to um, see how it goes in San Francisco. Maybe that can be your chance to see it, Laura. Yeah, because I'm so close to San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess you're closer to New York. <laughs> Wait in line for 10 hours and you can see it in October 2024. There we go. Thanks, everybody who called in today. If you would like to leave us a voicemail, our number is one nine two zero three muggle one nine two oh three six eight four four five three call in with anything related to harry potter we'd love to hear it before we get to chapter by chapter we have a word from this week's sponsor this week's sponsor is open fit getting fit and staying healthy always sounds easier said than done right i know for me i'll use any excuse to not drive five minutes down the road and hit the gym and if it's drizzling even a little bit or even kind of overcast i cancel my jog to the nearby park 
With OpenFit, you can lose your commute to the gym and let the workouts come to you. OpenFit is a brand new, super simple streaming service that allows you to work out from the comfort of your living room in as little as 10 minutes a day. OpenFit classes are led by some of the most effective and engaging trainers in the world. Sculpt your body with Andrea Rogers, founder of the worldwide sensation Xtend Bar, or get in crazy good shape with Hunter McIntyre, named by Sports Illustrated as one of the top 50 fittest athletes. These trainers know how to get you results quick. Just press play. You can view workouts on your computer, web-enabled TV, tablet, smartphone, and Roku. I myself do the 600 sex, that's 10 minutes, uh, workouts with the cool charismatic trainer Devin Wiggins. All workouts last 600 seconds and focus on different areas of the body, which is superb. And it's really easy for me to convince myself to set aside 10 minutes where I don't have to travel anywhere or even put on clothes. All apologies to my roommate. <laughs> there are over 70 workouts. There, there are over 70 workouts in the 600 sex category alone. And they're even arranged into a full picture, one a day calendar. So you can work out for an entire month with Special care paid to like a, uh, a well-rounded workout. OpenFit has changed the way I work out. And with my code MuggleCast, you can join me on a fitness journey personalized just for you. Again, use my code MuggleCast to start using OpenFit for your journey to a healthier life. And right now, during the OpenFit 30-Day Challenge, our listeners get a special extended 30-day free trial membership to OpenFit, where you can lose up to 15 pounds in 30 days when you text MuggleCast to 303030. You'll get full access to OpenFit, all the workouts, and nutrition information totally free. Again, just text MuggleCast to 303030. We thank OpenFit for their support. All right, it's time now for Chapter by Chapter. We're discussing Half-Blood Prince Chapter 20, Lord Voldemort's request. And as always, we'll start out, we'll start off with our seven-word summary. All right, and I'm first on the seven-word summary this week. (laughs) Damn you, Andrew. Um, Okay, I'll start it with Voldemort tries again to obtain <laughs> Dumbledore's this is so nerve wracking I want to get it right you guys I want to get it right I don't want to uh, not respect um, allowance first allowance allowance, allowance? Like, yeah that's good like okay. money yeah, you know, let's <laughs> let's let people allowance to teach yeah. at Hogwarts. Mm. Permission? Yeah, like a recruiting ground kind of a thing. You know, okay, that's yeah. fair. Allowance is fine. When I said I obtain, that. I was envisioning that you guys were just going to say a job. Yeah, <laughs> I wanted it to not be a job. <laughs> we really strive to uh, impress here <laughs> with big words. So. This chapter is another one of those Dumbledore's Lessons chapters, but at the beginning of it, we're getting some ship changes. Hermione and Ron are cool again because Ron and Lavender are falling apart to Hermione's delight, and Dean and Ginny are falling apart as well, which of course is to Harry's delight, so things are coming together. But that's not really the focus of the chapter. Uh, We do see the girls that, Eric, a few weeks ago you were talking about you had pointed out to us who were under, who were actually Crab and Goyle under a Polyjuice Potion. But it begs the question, where is Draco keeping these girls and how creepy is it that he's taking their hair so frequently? You mean the real girls, like the whoever 
the real yeah. girls. I don't. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I have so many questions uh, in this book, and most of them are about this. It's never really <laughs> it's kind of fully explored. It's not like you don't even get kind of how Crab and Goyle feel about this, but they're they're spending a lot of time as very young girls. And I think part of it is like, you know, it's supposed to be, I don't know, a body horror aspect of the book where it's like these big, bulky, you know, bully boys are spending their time as these tiny little girls. But I guess it's only played for laughs when Ron, you know, kind of go after it's revealed later, which we'll cover later. But yeah, I don't know. I just I kind of wish that I'd I'd like to a little bit more insight into mm-hmm. what exactly is going on here and, and what Draco's doing. And because and th- they don't have to be little girls, I think maybe that meant that their Draco just thought it would avoid the most suspicion, but they could be apologizing themselves as literally anybody and just randomly standing. In maybe quarters. Draco gets pleasure out of making Crab and Goyle girls. That just seems like a very middle school or high school thing to yeah. do. To your best friends, I you think can call them that. It's all about what avoids suspicion, mm-hmm. and they're yeah. trying. He's trying to avoid polyjuicing other people around their age group because obviously people in their class know who everyone is. Yeah, and if suddenly their friends are missing and they're only turning up when they're in the company of Draco Malfoy, that'll be a little suspicious. But what I want to know is how does this work logistically? Because presumably these girls are like trapped or unconscious somewhere where Draco just goes and harvests their hair for more polyjuice. How do their teachers not notice them missing from class? There is no way Crab and Goyle are attending their own classes as themselves and then these girls' classes as these girls. (laughs) How does this work? Is this another example of how Hogwarts is like a safety nightmare? The teachers are like, oh, well, you know. Uh, Melody and uh, Clarissa aren't here today, I so I guess they're just in the hospital wing. <laughs> I don't think whatever. Don't think, let's let's carry on. I don't think the girls need to be captured at all. They can still be going to their classes. Melody and Clarissa are straight A students, and nothing's going to change that. It's just Draco took some hair from them. Like unless they run into the Crab and Goyle posing as them, they which is you know would be mildly concerning. They don't even need to have knowledge of this situation. Yeah, but doesn't that run the risk of people? running into people who are polyjuices themselves like it does the but hogwarts is a big school and i guess the other question is how long is draco in the room of requirement how long does he need these lookouts posted there a couple hours at a time you know the thing is uh and ron says in this chapter uh, i could swear they're they keep getting smaller um and it's just like you know maybe these aren't even hogwarts girls at all maybe they're girl maybe they're muggle girls you know you never know like draco maybe you know, so it's it's mm. it's uh, weird to th- to think about, but it's just not touched on. And, and so every time I see this in the book, I'm like, I got to ask some questions about this because does it say what house they're in? Slytherin, I think. So. Like, I think they have Slytherin robes at one point or another. Yeah. Well, if that's the case, then Draco could easily coerce them into providing some of their hair as creepy as that sounds. Uh, or maybe a head boy. As well. Hey, lady. How does that conversation work? He just like saddles up to them in the common room like, hey, can I have some of your hair? Uh, Maybe it's Pansy or one of the other (laughs) female Slytherin students who uh, are able to uh, convince them. Or maybe she goes into the girl's uh, bathroom and just kind of like unclogs the sink. (laughs) I was going to say just grab the comb. Yeah, or grabs her comb. Yeah. Anyway... (laughs) That's the girl update. We'll check in with them maybe in the chapters yeah. ahead. 
So I read this chapter using these audiobooks on YouTube from the uh, a guy called Dead Inside, uh, D E D D underscore Inside. That's me. Yeah. <laughs> it's isn't it us all? <laughs> but they bring up this question because Luna shows up and gives Harry the the little slip of paper that says for him to go visit Dumbledore. Is that really smart? Uh, I want to credit Dead Inside and Debbie Bobemi, his co-host, for bringing this up. Ron just got poisoned because he was given some wine randomly. Katie Bell was just given a random necklace. And Harry sees Luna with this piece of paper and he's like, oh, give me and grabs it right from her. Is that secure? Is it safe? Is it smart for Dumbledore to still be communicating in this way? Hmm. Should Harry be a little scrutinized? I wanted to get your guys thoughts on that. Luna is a piece of paper. Yeah, it's just paper. And Luna's one of Harry's more trusted friends, I think. Not as random as like Katie Bell. So... I don't know. But yeah, I think it's just like, what are you going to do? Avoid touching any single object at this point? That's like impossible. Yeah. You know, you accidentally pick up a book or something in one of your classrooms and it's cursed. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I did just always think it was interesting because, I mean, it's not like Dumbledore hangs out with Luna a whole heck of a lot more than he would Harry. So how is it that she got that piece of paper? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, Yeah. So very interesting. So... He does get this note. It doesn't kill him. So he makes it to Dumbledore's office. (laughs) And we find out that the staffing issue going on is that Trelawney hates friends. And friends can't be sent back to the forest because now he's an outcast having come work for the humans. And Dumbledore thinks that Trelawney couldn't make it in the outside world because she's threatening to leave. So I'm wondering why this is exactly. We know Trelawney is pretty kooky. Is, Is that why? It, I like I'm just picturing her kind of like being like Queenie out in the open like she's it's sensory overload she's hearing all these voices and it'll just drive her crazy until one of uh, Voldemort's assistants shows up and makes her drink tea why does Dumbledore <laughs> think she couldn't handle the the outside world well he brings up the point that she doesn't know that she's actually the one who made the prophecy about Harry and Voldemort and that would endanger her outside the walls of the castle. People would try to capture her to learn this prophecy. I think she would be a direct target for Voldemort. Yeah. yeah. I, I feel like that's the implication. Much like Slughorn, for instance, is, you know, we hear that he's being targeted by Death Eaters. They want him. He knows about the Horcruxes. He would be in great danger if he wasn't at Hogwarts. And Trelawney would be in, a, I think, an even greater danger. Voldemort might try and extract the prophecy to, to hear the full part because he never got to hear the full part. Um, even though sh- she doesn't specifically remember it, maybe it's still in there somewhere. You know, there's got to be some things you could do um, to get that out of her. So, yeah, just Trelawney would be in an immense amount of danger. And Dumbledore is kind of very carefully playing these teachers against each other. He's just, you know, kind of allowing this this rivalry to exist because it, it is truly for everybody's good. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's her racist comments about the nag aside. Yeah. Which I still don't understand. Is that just inherent in her as a person? You can understand her being upset with somebody else coming in and teaching the same subject that she's teaching. But is it tr- just purely because Ferenz is a centaur and she doesn't like the idea of him teaching because he's a beast and that diminishes maybe the 
the effectiveness of what she's trying to teach? Maybe. I mean, anybody who's anybody should know there's multiple levels of divination, like multiple styles. I mean, if she's really good at teaching or after the pursuit of knowledge or after really uh, imparting knowledge on youngins, she should um, welcome kind of an alternate take. They could be besties, you know, really about the whole thing. But I'm going to go with Harry's uh, interpretation at times that Trelawney really got off on scaring people and really kind of loved making him feel like he was going to die. I mean, she really does lay that on pretty thick. And in book three, like part of her really believes that she is seeing what she's really seeing. And then the other part, I think, secretly thrills in kind of being a little over the top. So when somebody who comes who can actually do the job, i.e. Forenza, like his entire culture is based on star worshiping, uh, stargazing and and divination, she's threatened and that's all it is. She's being she's being racist because she's being threatened, not overtly, but, you know, inadvertently. And it's just a sad situation. And I think anybody in her position would would feel threatened if a second teacher came in to do what she was doing. Like we don't see duplicate or uh, multiple potions teachers or defense against the dark arts teachers. There's always only one. Yeah. And I think also this is just another reflection of the real world in that people are always sort of xenophobic and afraid that outsiders are going to come in and take their jobs. It's a very common narrative. Hmm. So the meeting begins between Dumbledore and Harry, and Dumbledore shames Harry for not being able to successfully retrieve the memory from Slughorn. And this is an interesting moment because J.K. Rowling writes how Dumbledore calmly shames him. He's just very cool when he does it. Um, But it also feels like a stab in the heart to Harry because it's um, it's it's just he's so patient with it. He Harry says that he would rather Dumbledore be mean. Yeah. I don't think I have ever experienced someone in the real world calmly shaming me. <laughs> Anyone else? <laughs> yeah, this is totally a teacher move. Yeah. Um, when you've communicated to a student the importance of something that you need them to do And then they show up in your office and they haven't done the thing and they start making excuses about being busy with this and that. You kind of just sit there and stare at them and blink. (laughs) And then you kind of start by being like, "Okay, I understand that you have these things. However, we talked about this. You understand why it's important. So can we go ahead and make that a priority? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think I think Dumbledore was a little extra about it here. I think he laid it on a little thick. Um, but as a former teacher, uh, I can say this is a thing as somebody who had professors in college with whom I had very close working relationships. I've also been on the other side mm. of that. So it's a thing. Yeah. It, it's painful. <laughs> it, it did seem a little bit too much, though, on the part of Dumbledore. I think that he doesn't take into consideration everything that Harry has been through in the last couple of weeks since their last meeting. And Harry even kind of rattles them off. You know, he he almost had his best friend die at his feet. He's had his head smashed in. He's been in the hospital and he's also been trying to track down Draco, see what he's up to uh, because Dumbledore hasn't given him any information there either. Right. So I actually tend to side with, 
hairy here, particularly because of the next point that's raised, is that if Dumbledore really wants this memory, he should do it himself. There's there's yeah. no way that somebody like Slughorn, for as powerful as he may be, how talented he may be, that he could withstand Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. Right. That's what's so frustrating to me in this moment. Like, Dumbledore just goes out of his way. Like, oh, you had all these other things going on, and uh, you didn't prioritize what I'm asking. Huh, very interesting. <laughs> Dumbledore, also- get off your butt and do it. You're the most powerful wizard of all time. You're also one of the most clever. You can figure it out. Yeah, and it's it's a heck of a lofty perch for him to be on when he's actively like the other things Harry's worrying about, like Draco, he could solve for him. Like Dumbledore knows exactly what's going on with Draco, and he's not telling Harry because, you know, he thinks it would get in the way of Harry retrieving this memory or something. But it just, you know, yeah. all the other th- like Harry Dumbledore is responsible for a lot of Harry's problems, as usual. And to chastise him so heavily and basically, he's silent. Like, Dumbledore is guarding his warmth from Harry. He's literally locking his warmth toward Harry in a vault until Harry gets so uncomfortable and so squirmy that Harry has to say, I, Professor Dumbledore, I'm really sorry. I should have done more. I should have realized you wouldn't have asked me to do it if it wasn't really important, which is a direct quote. Yeah. And then he says, thank you for saying that, Harry. Let's move on. And it's just like, <laughs> come on, dude. Really? You just... That's manipulation. Mm-hmm. I mean, he. We have established this. Dumbledore is very manipulative, and I think you guys perfectly illustrated how Dumbledore's sort of the puppet master in this whole situation. He has decided how he wants things to go and who he wants to do what, and he will not budge on those things. Mm-hmm. I do wonder though, why does it have to be Harry? And I was thinking about this the other night, and. I got to the conclusion maybe this is how Dumbledore sees the only way to sort of get Harry's buy-in on this whole situation, especially knowing that Harry is going to have to sacrifice himself (laughs) soon Mm. in order to defeat Voldemort. He's known this for quite some time. And maybe this is maybe this is just a stepping stone Dumbledore sees in order to make Harry fully committed to the mission that he doesn't even know he has yet. That's a really interesting point. It's also just training Harry to take on some tough tasks. Like, obviously, he's faced some tough battles so far, but uh, Dumbledore just wants to keep up that pace, maybe, of giving him these challenges. So, um, moving along here, lost my place in the dock. I was Instagramming a photo of our live stream. <laughs> it's Dumbledore lesson time, according yes. to you. Thank you. So, uh, we learned that Voldemort in this in the scene asked then Hogwarts headmaster Professor Dippet if he could be a DADA teacher at the school and Dumbledore Dumbledore believes he wanted to build himself an army. Now Dippet interestingly actually liked Voldemort but turned down the offer at Dumbledore's insistence because he was too young. Hmm. Yeah. And Laura, I think so I- yeah. Yeah, I have a question for everyone here. What if Dumbledore was wrong? I'm not saying he was, but let's just imagine for a moment. Like, what if he was? How might the course of history have been changed if Tom had been allowed to teach at Hogwarts? We know that Tom Riddle really felt like Hogwarts was his family. It was the only thing he had any kind of emotional connection to. And what if having that sort of need satisfied by 
filling a job posting at Hogwarts would have avoided this this whole uh, debacle. It kind of reminds me of an episode of The Twilight Zone, like what if, you know, Hitler had been accepted to art school? <laughs> what would have happened? Like, so are we putting aside the fact that Voldemort was already recruiting followers? Yeah. He wanted no, I mean, we can art. still, we can consider all of that. I just wonder what could have been different. Yeah. Like, could he, ha- could his course have changed? I feel like this whole series is sort of based on the idea that it's really our choices that matter. And you can choose to sort of um, acquiesce to your darker tendencies, or you can choose not to, as Dumbledore does, right? Yeah. Um, Dumbledore has a really dark past and he's made some big mistakes, but he has chosen to rise above that. And I guess I just wonder if given the opportunity, could Tom Riddle have had that same potential? No, maybe I- not. It's just, it's interesting to me that Dumbledore sort of makes these like unilateral decisions and will not budge. Changes the course of somebody's life. I yeah. think you're right. There- I suppose there was a chance because maybe he could have taught at Hogwarts and maybe he would be looking at these students and be like, wow, I have a real opportunity here to take a better path. And um, I think we all, you know, we've all made choices in our lives that have dramatically impacted where we are today. Luckily, didn't affect MuggleCast. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, yeah, I, I think he could have been on a better path, but... I guess Dumbledore just saw the chances of that happening being way too slim. Yeah. I mean, the potential, obviously the potential was there for things to go very bad. Um, I just think this is another example of Dumbledore sort of being like the puppet master Mm -hmm. and really just like kind of closing people into boxes almost like you will do this or you will not do this. Yeah. Dumbledore is operating under the assumption that he is 100% right. Uh, even when some of his senior peers are totally in love with Tom Riddle. Um, he knows that he is correct and that Tom Riddle would only be a bad thing to happen to the school. And I believe that, you know, if he were allowed to teach, he would pretty soon be taking kids down to the Chamber of Secrets, which only he knows really exists or where it is, and doing special lessons and basically recruitment training down in his own secret chamber. It's a very good thing for me that... Uh, to me that uh, Tom was not allowed to stay at Hogwarts. But the immediate kind of on the other hand, the immediate uh, result of him, if he were allowed to teach at Hogwarts, is he would never have met Hepzibah Smith uh, and and found sort of his mother's locket and found the, the Hufflepuff cup because she really told very, very, very few people about that. And it would have kind of just stayed within her family, I think. Uh, for probably several generations, and those heavy, huge Hogwarts artifacts would not become, would not have become Horcruxes. Yeah. And there's definitely parallels, though, Eric, between what you just said with the potential for Voldemort to operate within Hogwarts and go down to the chamber and use it as a recruitment area. Harry does the exact same thing with the rumor requirement for the Order of the Phoenix or for, for Dumbledore's army. Yep. And... I think that going back to the point of choices that Laura brought up with choices, probably one of the bigger ones too is with Voldemort choosing Harry over Neville and how that could have impacted the the course of the story. But 
even Dumbledore's choices. I think Dumbledore could have had a way more practiced hand in the really the the growth of Tom Riddle, and he chose not to. And I wonder if that was because of his own past experiences with the Deathly Hallows and Grindelwald and, and, and his life experiences, because Dumbledore probably could have helped to prevent a lot of what Tom Riddle does. Because I think by this point where we, we see him going after the Defense Against the Dark Arts job, he's already done things that are unforgivable, right? We're talking about the Chamber of Secrets. You're talking about um, the the murder of his uncle. And there are things that you can't change and can't go back. And I think that had Dumbledore inter- intervened earlier, maybe, maybe not. But I think maybe there was a chance that it could have changed the course of Tom's you know, time at Hogwarts and who he grew into be. We spoke about this during your previous flashback scene, I think, when Dumbledore visited Tom in the orphanage. And I think we concluded that, well, at least I was saying that Dumbledore just saw a very troubled child who was already past the point of no return. Like he was going to be who he was going to be. Yeah. It always with Tom Riddle, it always boils down to the nature versus nurture debate. Right. And it's it's really tough to say. I mean, I, at face value, I think we're supposed to accept that Tom Riddle was past the point of redemption, even as a child. Um, but we're only seeing a lot of this through Dumbledore's lens, which lends us to sort of believe what Dumbledore himself believed or how he perceived it. And it would be very interesting to get a different perspective on that. Yeah, I kind of like the idea that it was just too painful for Dumbledore personally to interact with Tom on a closer level than what he did. Um, That maybe he maybe Dumbledore was trying to resist the same temptation that he felt whenever he was with Grindelwald in terms of talking about some of the darker aspects of magic. Like maybe Dumbledore is closer than we could ever guess to you know being a dark wizard but he as sort of a rejection never allowed himself to get close to tom for fear of being tempted back into doing dark magic or something i think it also has to do with being born out of that love potion like dumbledore may have just seen that's one reason why he was convinced early on that this was uh he was going nowhere good but moving along here voldemort does end up bad and he gets a job at borgen and burke where he tried to buy treasures with unusual and powerful properties, he, as part of his job, uh, we learned that he went to Hebzibah Smith's residence, and we get this from Hokey, the house elf's memory. <laughs> and Voldemort's there to try and buy goblin-made armor, but Hepzibah has different plans. She shows him two of her most prized possessions. They are the Slytherin Locket and Helga Hufflepuff's Cup. Both wield great powers, powers, by the way, that we don't really learn about. Um, I went looking and we hear that they have powers, but we just don't see anything. Am I right on that? I mean, yeah, you're right. Like anybody else find anything? I just think it's because of who they belong to. Originally, you're talking about the founders of of Hogwarts. So maybe naturally they come with certain powers. 
Right. We just don't know what those are. That's what I mean. You know what? I Guys, I've solved the problem by going directly to the source, Pottermore.com. Uh, oh, under love Pottermore. Ex- yeah, under Explore the Story, Helga Hufflepuff's Cup. It says, Helga Hufflepuff's Cup, a small golden cup that once belonged to Helga Hufflepuff. It was stolen and made into a horcrux by Lord Voldemort. Okay. Type. It's a horcrux. Magical properties. Here we go. You guys ready? Brings Lavender Brown back to life. I know, I know, I know. Said to possess several powers, yet these were not thoroughly tested. What? That's that's it? specific. That wasn't an answer, Eric. That's directly from this chapter in the book where Hepzibah's like, well, I haven't tested (laughs) Potter less. Potter nothing. Potter Potter no more. (laughs) So Pottermore has... Pottermore has... uh, taken directly from uh the the notion that that uh hepzibah did not herself test any of the rumored uh magical properties but yeah we i guess we never know i mean i wanted to ask you guys what you thought a a magic cup would do would it refill itself would it yeah give the drinker long life unlimited wine is it the holy grail oh yeah like a good old-fashioned bottomless drink yeah (laughs) that's what it offers you (laughs) On Sundays, it's a bottomless mimosa. I'm, <laughs> On Mondays, it's bottomless water. Or coffee. I'm thinking of yeah. um, like something a little bit more like special magical, though, like Fountain of Youth or something. You know, Yeah, it's probably like something that. more like that. Yeah. So one of the questions that I had about this particular scene in the chapter, do we think that it was just reoccurring visits that Tom played or paid to uh, Hepzibah? that sort of endeared him to her? Was it just the fact that she is this older woman who probably liked the fact that, you know, she had company from time to time? Or do we think maybe he enchanted her a bit, put a spell or two on her to get her to be as forthcoming as she was? I didn't get the impression. The impression, sorry, the impression I got from the chapter was that um, she was so delighted and flattered to have the attentions of a younger man even in this context that she would have been willing to show him anything anything that might keep (laughs) (laughs) that might that might keep him around you know um she's clearly like it before he even gets there she's making uh uh hokey it is Mm -hmm. right um help her get dressed up and she's like putting on makeup and rouging her cheeks and all of these other things so there's definitely an element to that there um it is interesting. I feel like it's an interesting parallel to when Dumbledore went to the orphanage and had to like gin up the the, oh. the the owner of the orphanage in order to get information about Tom Riddle. And yet Tom Riddle is just so naturally good at this himself. He's like he's like his own gin. <laughs> he is gin. Tom Riddle is gin. Riddle gin. That's the name of the episode. <laughs> no, but even Harry mentions the the good looks that tom has and it seems like it's a reoccurring theme that he utilizes that to his advantage in in a number of situations that we see yeah yeah he's he's a flatterer i i like to believe also that he didn't use any special magic because i believe that ultimately hokey is a good house elf and would detect sort of a persuasion charm or something on you know her master so i i like to think that like hokey would kind of spot and stop some of that nonsense as part of her duty if tom riddle were anything but at face value what he was a handsome young man who is paying a lot of attention and picking up on 
you know, all, all women really want is a good listener. He brings her flowers, you know, and like she loves flowers. So, yeah, I think he he's got her number and it's just it's unfortunate. But through time, Laura, what you said about her getting all rouged up and stuff and showing her possessions, I think it's because she knows that, you know, this is the big sale that he has been sent there to make from Borgen, the Goblin made armor or whatever. And that if he completes that sale today, as I'm assuming she knew he would, then he would never see her again. So maybe she's putting mm-hmm. in the extra effort to like keep him around. And that's why she makes her fatal flaw. She wants him to keep coming back and he will come back, but he's going to come back to kill her. So he then takes the same approach with Hokey and, and Hepzibah that he did with Morphin and the rest of his family and just continues to be very disturbing. We learn that he likely killed Hepzibah and altered Hokey's memory so that Hokey at least thinks in part that she's responsible for Hepzibah's death and the locket and the cup disappear. Tom disappears from his job at Borgen and Burke. And that kind of leads us into the next memory with Dumbledore and Voldemort. Yeah. I thought this was cool. Like th- this is mo- this no longer does Tom, except when Dumbledore is talking to him exist. Yeah. It, now we're starting to see almost a young Voldemort sitting across from Dumbledore in this office. And what's creepy about it is that this is still like Voldemort who can be out and about. And as a reader, you just want to scream like, oh my God, it's Voldemort. He's just there. Why aren't you doing anything? So um, we do step into his memory. And as Micah says, um, Dumbledore, it, it's great. Dumbledore is refusing to call Tom by his new name. And it's just so badass. And there are a couple of interesting moments here that I want to read. Uh, this first one, uh, Voldemort says to Dumbledore, I have seen and done much since I left this place. I could show and tell your students things they can gain from no other wizard. And Dumbledore replies, I certainly do know that you have seen and done much. Rumors have reached Hogwarts. I should be very sorry to believe half of them. So right here, yeah. Tom should realize I'm not getting this teaching job. But he persists anyway, which is interesting to me. Why would Voldemort think Dumbledore could give him a role at Hogwarts after he knows that uh, Voldemort's been up to no good? It was always my thought with this particular moment that he's in search for something of Gryffindor's. Maybe the sword. Like the sword. Yeah. Th- there, there's. We've seen now the, the memory with Hufflepuff's cup. We've seen the locket come into play. From Slytherin, it was always my belief that in this moment he was he was looking for maybe the the sorting hat or the sword, and there's a there's a moment at the end of the chapter too where it's really unclear what's happening. But doesn't he say something or muddle something under his breath? I don't know if that's him cursing the position or what have you. But I always felt like um, there was other intentions of him being in the office with. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was either to um, place the, what was it? It was Rowena Ravenclaw's, yeah, the diadem in the room of requirement, I think, as you have mentioned later here in the notes, or to try and obtain something else. I don't think Tom Riddle was stupid enough to think Dumbledore would actually give him the job. Yeah. I also wonder if Dumbledore was considering 
the what the parents would think if he let Voldemort teach at the school because surely those rumors are going all over the wizarding world. He doesn't mention that though, but I think that would be important. Yeah. Yeah, I think the whole meeting is a ruse, but I can't deny that like this scene, their their banter between each other, that these men at like opposite sides of the spectrum of what they think, you know, how they think magic should be used, it's banter worthy of like a heavily scripted, you know, TV series. Like I wanted I want to see this scene adapted so well. Voldemort looking for the first time inhuman, uh, with you know, bloodshot eyes uh rallying these 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 arguments at at Dumbledore and Dumbledore kind of you know keeping them at bay like it's they're sparring with words mm-hmm. and it's really really well written yeah i will say as i was rereading this i found myself disappointed that we never got to see this in the films yeah both yeah. both this scene and the one with Hepzibah and even going back to the gaunts i feel like that helped really inform the Horcrux story a lot more, especially when you get to Deathly Hallows and more so even part two, where where they're going after these Horcruxes where there's not a whole lot of context being provided as to why they're going after the cup. Yeah, it's in Bellatrix's vault, but you know, it's almost like Harry has to go there and then sense it before he can figure out what it is and then destroy it. And then the same goes with the diadem when he has that bit of a flash and he's inside Voldemort's mind and he can see um, the gray lady and and he knows he needs to go to Hogwarts. This would have set it up, I think a lot better. Uh, And and there's a lot of rich story here. And and I, I was also disappointed that none of it made the films. Yeah. I mean, I can just see Michael Gambon's Dumbledore backing young Tom Riddle (laughs) up against a trophy case. (laughs) Do you really want to teach here? Do you really tell me? And this line he said calmly. Why not try yeah. an open request for once, Tom? Yeah. I mean, at this point, any pleasantries are just totally out the window. It's just such like a very raw scene. Love it. Yeah. Another line I wanted to mention, um, Voldemort, like I said, the pleasantries are gone. And Voldemort says, nothing I have seen in the world has supported your famous pronouncement that love is more powerful than my kind of magic. Is this thought a result of being born from a love potion. Is this a reminder to the reader that that love potion has just completely deprived him from even seeing love, which I think would be interesting. I don't know. I just think he tends to, at this point he's so far along Voldemort is that he has gotten results by not do it by doing something. that's very clearly the opposite of love, like murdering people. So I, you know, I, I think that he's just the Voldemort specific path that he's on has nothing to do with the kinds of love that Dumbledore is talking about. And so Dumbledore can rub it in his face that he's ignorant about it and all that. And we know Dumbledore is kind of right in the end at times. But for right now, Voldemort is getting the results he wants his way and nothing else in the world matters to him. I also think it's because, again, choices. Voldemort has chosen to put his focus on mastering death. And when that's your focus, I don't think there's much room for love. (laughs) Yeah. So in this whole scene, really, Dumbledore is one step ahead of Tom. He knows he brought men with him. He knows his followers are called Death Eaters. He knows that Tom doesn't want to return the Hogwarts to become a teacher in all reality. Um, and by the way, that Dumbledore says, you know, I've, I've got my, I, I know the local barmen. This is the latest reference to Aberforth before Harry knows 
that's where Aberforth is. There's been a mention or two of Aberforth previously, but still doesn't know what Aberforth is currently up to. It also shows that Dumbledore has been keeping tabs on Voldemort for quite some time. And that could even make a lot of this even more troubling from the sense that he doesn't do anything about it. Yeah. He lets it continue. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's let, he's allowing Voldemort to make his choices because he values choice so much. Mm-hmm. My big thing is he specifically, not only does Dumbledore reveal that he's been keeping tabs on Voldemort, but he can directly name the Death Eaters that are with him in the pub, not Rosier, Mulciber, Dolohov. I'm wondering how the heck he can do that because, like, Aberforth... It, it really questions Aberforth's involvement, whether Aberforth would recognize those students by name, which I don't know how Aberforth possibly would. Or I thought of a new canon thing, which is, you know, how in the Crimes of Grindelwald movie, they have like that security camera footage type spell where you can look through a portal and see something like it's CCTV. Maybe Aberforth installed one of those in his bar. And so Dumbledore just takes one look and it's like, oh, yeah, that's Mulciber. Um because I don't know how otherwise they're getting this information. And I think it also puts Aberforth at great risk. Like Voldemort is so furious with Dumbledore. He, I guess, doesn't realize enough, but he knew their specific names, which means he is a spy in the bar. Aberforth is kind of possibly in trouble here. Yeah. It's actually his goat that <laughs> communicates the information back to Dumbledore. Oh, exactly. So, but one other thing I was going to say about this, again, comparing it back in this case to Order of the Phoenix, is this is not unlike Aberforth spying on Dumbledore's army and passing information back to his brother. Yeah. So to wrap this chapter up, uh, Harry says, well, what is Voldemort after? And Dumbledore says, you'll find out later. So making him wait a little longer. Uh, as Laura touched on, might have been uh, going after the diadem. Uh, or just potentially searching for new Horcruxes, like Micah said. Maybe the Sorting Hat, maybe the Sorted Gryffindor. So, why does Harry still not ask Dumbledore what a Horcrux is? Uh, because, yeah. well, it hasn't been really brought up too often. There were a couple mentions previously. I don't know. It's just not in the front. He doesn't realize how important they are yet, I guess. Is that but it? But he has Hermione trying to uh, right. do a little research. Well, did you really want him to ask? Because we know what Dumbledore would say. You'll find find out the later. memory. Yeah, Next uh, that time, too. Harry. <laughs> well, yeah, no, no. I mean, yeah. Harry. Harry internalizes. <laughs> he he. Harry it correctly guesses that he will find out what they are when he gets Slughorn's memory. Mm-hmm. But he could totally. It would be fair of him to ask Dumbledore first before getting the memory. He just won't. So I thought we could play a little game here. So poor Voldemort. He just wants a job at Hogwarts. He's wanted it for so long, and Dumbledore and Mr. Puppet Master is like, no, you're destined for a life of horrible things. I won't give you a chance. I won't let you try to change your path. I thought we could pick a role for him at Hogwarts. If he couldn't be defense against the dark arts teacher, what could he be? What do you think, Laura? I think he could be the official Hogwarts tour guide. Um, He knows more about the castle secrets than everyone he could take you down to the Chamber of Secrets, <laughs> uh, introduce you to the Basilisk, show you how weird the bathrooms at Hogwarts are. 
the fact that they lead to this chamber. Um, he knows all of the secret in- entrances in and out of the castle. He's like evil Fred and George. <laughs> so he can show you all of the just like most terrible parts of Hogwarts Castle. And I think people would be very interested in that. How about you, Micah? Give him a role. I'm going to give him the role of caretaker. Okay. See ya, Filch. (laughs) And the reason being, there would never be any students out of bed or (laughs) BS games being played with Voldemort as as the caretaker. The castle would... Because he'd kill them? Well, I think he would just put the fear of God in them. Fear of God. (laughs) Uh, The castle would be clean and orderly and... uh, Tom would run a tight ship, and honestly, Dumbledore could use the help. <laughs> We've talked a lot on this podcast about how Dumbledore is just running. Yeah, I, I don't it's even care. It's a circus. Yeah, it's a mess, yeah. and uh, it's really shameful. Even Tom compliments him in this chapter on the fact that he's been uh, given the role of headmaster. But yeah, he's a caretaker. Except no Mrs. Norris. I don't think he liked Mrs. Norris very much. <laughs> I'm going to go a different direction. And this is kind of a Star Trekky job, but here it is. Uh, Chief Morale Officer. Uh, I, I want to see Tom Riddle finding people around Hogwarts who are not having a good day and just try and cheer them up, make their day better. And I, I wrote that over time, uh, he will find his humanity after doing this enough because, you know, it kind of makes you feel good making others feel good. And I think that uh, he will discover the magic uh, that love uh, can provide. So if, if Dumbledore was like, no, no, you can't do DADA, but here you're going to go cheer people up who are having a bad day. Voldemort would resist at first, but I think over time he would be a changed man. So even though I came up with a segment, I couldn't come up with a very strong answer. I'm going to say silent defense against the dark arts assistant. So let him be like the teacher's assistant where he's maybe helping out in the classroom, but he doesn't get the talk because if he spoke, he'd probably be recruiting kids. <laughs> I feel like, you know, kind of throw him a line, but don't let him go all the way. Call his bluff. If you really want to be the teacher. Okay. Let's start you as the teacher's assistant. And by the way, don't say a word in that classroom. Yeah. What I do fight. Good. Go ahead. No, what I do find interesting about all of this, though, is is it does remind me, again, about Order of the Phoenix, right? Because the Ministry is so concerned that Dumbledore is using Hogwarts as a recruiting ground to have students oh, rise yeah. up against the Ministry. And that's more likely than not what Voldemort would have done had he had the opportunity. And I would say rise up against Dumbledore, rise up against the Ministry, but in a really, yeah. really bad kind of way. So... I didn't mention this. We do find out the big twist at the end of this chapter is that Voldemort cursed the defense against the dark arts position. And it's been cursed ever Amazing. since then. Uh, potentially broken when Voldemort died. I, I guess that would oh, be yeah. the case. Yeah. Yeah. But how cool is this twist? This is something that clearly was in the cards since the beginning of the, the, the series or, or at the very least, you know, J.K. Rowling maybe at first was like, we're going to do a new Defense Against Dark Arts teacher to kind of shake things up each year, make each year different. But over time, it morphs into this whole explanation that Voldemort cursed it. How awesome is that? And it's so awesome that the the chapter just ends with that, with Dumbledore saying, uh, you see, we have never been able to keep a Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher for longer than a year since I refused the post to Lord Voldemort. 
and Dumbledore knew about this curse and still kept hiring teachers. Like, what did he think would happen to each of these teachers <laughs> at the end of each year? Half of them die. Yeah. So why Sorry. do these teachers know that going in that it's cursed? How many people know that this is cursed? It's a little disturbing. Yeah. How forthcoming is he about this? <laughs> uh, right. In what year does he curse this position? I mean, 81, 83. Yeah. Sounds about right. It's... It's a lot of teachers. And why isn't Dumbledore powerful enough to reverse the curse? Mm, maybe it's dark magic, like Dumbledore doesn't touch or something like that. I don't know. Like it's Or maybe he has tried. It's just been unsuccessful. My question is, you know, this magic to, of, of cursing a DADA position, something as vague as, you know, you're not going to have a teacher for longer than a year, is remarkably powerful at altering probability, like altering the very laws of nature of like, the course of history, whether it's uh, parents are going to out their werewolf, you know, teacher and not want the werewolf to teach their kids or whether you, you know, our last defense against the darkest teacher got carried away into a forest by centaurs, never to return. Uh, you know, all this other stuff is so blanket powerful that it reminds me a lot of like the kind of magic behind Felix Felicis, you know, like Felix Felicis can make it so that bullets luckily don't hit you that are being fired at you or whatever spells and uh it's kind of the same thing i think yeah somehow it's a good point yeah it just reminds me of how vast and unexplored a lot of these areas of magic are even in the seven harry potter books let's rename the chapter now mine is just a play on the cursed child harry potter and half prince chapter 20 the cursed position <laughs> Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, Chapter 20, Hepzibah's House of Horcruxes. I love that one so much. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I gave Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, Chapter 20, Fifty Shades of Red Eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and I did Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, Chapter 20, A Disappointing Job Interview. <laughs> Ever have one of those, Laura? Oh, yeah. Haven't we all? Yeah. <laughs> Probably. Yep. And now our MVP of the week. What's yours, Eric? Who's yours, Eric? Uh, Armando Dippet, because he's there in the background. He's kind of seems to be a little puppet, puppety of Dumbledore. But uh, he's my MVP because he's so disposable that he's not in Crimes of Grindelwald at all. Ministry officials board the, the Hogwarts and he's, he's not there to be seen to fend him off. It's all Dumbledore's show. So I'm like, Dippet, you're either the most important, like too important to deal with that kind of stuff. Or not important at all. So shout out to Dippet for doing what Dumbledore wants anyway and then being out of the picture the rest of the way. <laughs> um, I said Dumbledore for being the only person on the Hogwarts staff to be creeped out by Tom Riddle. <laughs> Regardless of whether or not you think Riddle had the potential to be redeemed, he's a super creepy dude and nobody else seems to see this. Yeah. Mm. I went with Hokey. Really, though? Just, yeah, really. Why? She's busting her ass <laughs> around Hepzibah's house. <laughs> and uh, she ends up taking the fall for something that she didn't do. What a name for house elf as well. And minus Aberforth for just being a spy at the bar and cluing Dumbledore into what Voldemort is up to. I mean, it's really important info. My MVP this week is actually kind of a serious choice for once. Yeah. So that was chapter 20 of Half-Blood Prince. Next week, we will discuss chapter 21. So if you have any feedback about this week's discussion or next week's chapter, 
please write in mugglecast at gmail.com or call us one nine two oh three six eight four four five three or use the contact form on mugglecast.com. It's time now for Quizitch. I know we have at least one young listener who is looking to play on Twitter, Eric. Uh, but I could not find uh, any proof that uh, Arlie had uh, played this week, unfortunately. She's still learning Twitter, I think, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, <laughs> last week's Quizitch question was, what time does Tom Riddle visit Hepzibah Smith? Uh, does he call upon her? And the correct answer is 4 p.m., uh, it's four o'clock and Hepzibah in her memory is getting ready, rushing, rushing. And right at four on the dot, Tom rings the doorbell. So correct answers were gotten by Pranvi, Fluffy McNutters, Sarah Weensy, Vanessa Cho, Sarah Davis, and Retta Gambo. And uh, Vanessa actually added the military time or 24 hour clock time, 1600 in their answer. Wow. Bonus so, points. Yeah. But <laughs> special. Yeah, using... What? Yeah. Special dispensation bonus points to Vanessa. I hate late appointments. Who wants to do anything at 4 p.m.? I'm ready to wrap things up. <laughs> and uh, this next week's question, of course, comes from the next chapter, The Unknowable Room, when answers are revealed. Since we've been talking about Defense Against the Dark Arts a lot, I have a DADA question. How many points does Harry lose for being late to Defense Against the Dark Arts class in the next chapter? And uh, submit your answer to us over Twitter at ReplyUsMuggleCast. Use hashtag Quizich, which may be why I can't find Arlie's. Arlie, be sure to uh, use hashtag Quizich on Twitter. You know what a hashtag is? Soul Pounds. It's that thing that looks like some lines crossing all uh, over each other. It's next to the at key. It's next to the number. It's part of the number three key. Okay. She probably knows better than any of us. Yeah. Probably. Kids these days. <laughs> remember when it was called the pound sign yes all right so hey please follow us on our new instagram account instagram.com slash mugglecast like i said we are going to start ramping up our social media presence we're going to be giving you clips from each show that you can listen to right within your social media feeds and we're hoping we will be reaching new listeners this way it's also just great to be where all the kids are so Instagram.com slash MuggleCastPod. I posted a photo, y'all, of, of your smiling faces just about a half hour ago. You're going to make me follow MuggleCastPod on Instagram, aren't you? I meant to bring this up. Eric, why are you not following MuggleCastPod? Well, I, I was following MuggleCast, but I didn't. Okay, follow back. All right, I got you. Finally, Micah Wait. and Laura did. I did. You know what? I only see, is this a story? Because I only see one post and it's our album art that I've seen a hundred times. Yeah, it's the story. Oh, oh, Eric, oh, such an old is. man. Okay. How do I? It's <laughs> not even the story. That's just a post. All Click right. the circular logo. You'll see my story with okay, Micah. I... All right, I clicked the logo, and I'm going to save. I'm going to. I screenshotted the story, and I'm going to add that to my Instagram. So for people who want to <laughs> see MuggleCast Pods outdated stories, no, this is a follow uh, Eric J Skull on that, Instagram, yeah, and you know you'll wow. see MuggleCast stories. Well, you know what? I tagged you in the first post, so you probably did pick up some followers that I way. I think I did. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm going to untag you from this post now. <laughs> MuggleCast pod story of the day. There we go. Anyway, thank you, everybody, for listening. And don't forget, the day we're releasing this episode, April Fool's Day. Happy birthday, Fred and George. <laughs> Not to you, Fred, because you're dead. You won't be hearing this. Oh. Mm. Still his Too birthday. Soon. Yeah, true. 
And his death day was what? A month later? May 2nd. When was the Battle of Hogwarts? May, May. 2nd? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Can't wait. We're about a month away from the annual J.K. Rowling <laughs> apology. Will she do, <laughs> do it this year? Do you think she'll come back to Twitter for that? Uh, I don't it'll know. be interesting to I see. Could, I could see her being like, screw you guys. And credit to her, I mean, she's been pretty reliable with it, and you'd think she has other things to, like, remember in her life. <laughs> so, good on her for keeping it up for, like, four or five years. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah, I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm uh, Micah. And I'm Laura. And we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.